Once Dan said, and uh, Brian mentioned earlier, my name is Lyle. I'm the worship director here uh, at Elements, and it's just a privilege to be uh, up here tonight to share from God's Word. Uh, and so I'm excited as we continue our summer in the Psalm series uh, to dive into Psalm 119 together. Uh, but I want to tell you a story. A couple of years ago, uh, this is one of my shining moments as a husband. You can probably read the sarcasm into that. Uh, my wife and I were in uh, Beverly Hills, actually. Uh, so we had to go to Beverly Hills to get to the Italian consulate because we were going to be traveling to Europe a few months after that. We needed to apply for a visa uh, so that we could get Anya legally into the European Union. Uh, so if you've ever been in downtown Beverly Hills, first of all, it's a little bit ritzy, right? So you're driving around and taking in all the sights, and we're just like, wow. And we had also just watched the uh, OJ Made in America Right, and so even as we're driving along, we're like, oh, that's the street from this one thing. And so we're like, just totally distracted, right? Just kind of enjoying the moment. Uh, but we finally figure out where the Italian consulate building is. And it's, uh, there's a series of one-way streets all around it. So I missed a couple turns already. But we just started circling that block. And I tell you, like we probably circled it like what, 25 times at least, right? Just going along the same thing. And here's why, right? So we see the Italian consulate, we need to park. We get to a parking lot, we're like, great, hopefully they take card because we don't have any cash on us. Of course they don't take card. So now we have to figure out where to get cash, but we can't park the car to get to a bank that's right across the street. It just so happens to be the Wells Fargo that we need to get to. So no, no ability to park the car, no ability to get the cash, uh, and we're just stuck, and I'm frustrated. Of course I'm frustrated. What guy wouldn't be as you've circled the block 12 times probably at this point, just like, what do we do? So finally get to the point where I'm just like, Ugh. there's no cars behind me. I literally stop like in the right lane of traffic. I just stop. There's no cars. I'm like, babe, just get out. Grab your purse. Go to the Wells Fargo and get the money. What Anya heard was, babe, get out of the car. <laughs> End of sentence. And she's like, what? Why is my husband telling me to get out of the car? And so what, what do we do as Americans when somebody doesn't understand us? We slow down and we say it louder. Exactly, right? So I'm like, get out of the car, grab your wallet, go inside. And she's just like, she's petrified. She has no idea what's going on. And I gave her no warning. Like I was clearly in the wrong here. So we circle the block again for probably the 15th time. Uh, and this time I slow it down and, and I was able to successfully communicate the strategy that, okay, I'm gonna stop when there are no cars behind me, get your wallet, get your card, Go inside, the teller will give you a form, you can fill it out, you can get the cash, bring it out, we'll park the car. And that's exactly what happened. We finally did it. I probably, no joke, 25 times I went around that stupid block that day. So why do I tell you that story? Well, once I was able to clearly communicate what I was asking her to do, and she had time to process what it was that I was asking, we were able to successfully navigate what life required of us that day. And in many ways, I think the same is true with God's word. We have that same relationship with the Bible that God has provided instruction for us to successfully navigate what life requires from us. But oftentimes we fail to see what it is he's trying to communicate to us. Other times we don't create the space that we need to create so that we can process what it is that he wants us to do. And so tonight as we look in uh, Psalm 119, uh, we're gonna look at a chapter in the Bible that is just all about one person's deep, deep love for the word of God. And my hope for us is that we would be encouraged and that we would be inspired, um, not just mentally up here in our mind, 
but that God would take maybe one or two thoughts from tonight and plant those seeds in our heart. That we too would love God's word in the same way that the psalmist did. And so if you want to pull out uh, your Elements uh, app or your phone and pull up the YouVersion app, uh, maybe if you want to pull out your Bible and open up to Psalm 119, uh, there's just some statistics that I found pretty interesting that I was reading as I was preparing uh, for us uh, tonight. And uh, back in April, the 2019 State of the Bible Report was released by the Barna Group uh, in partnership with the American Bibleist Society. They found a couple of things uh, that were interesting. Year over year, the good news is that the overall Bible engagement in Americans appears to have increased. And so that number went uh, from 44% up to 52% of Americans who are now engaging the Bible at least three to four times throughout the year on their own outside of the church walls. That's pretty good. However, Bible-centered adults, meaning people who engage the Bible multiple times throughout the week and use the Bible as a filter through which they make decisions in life, has decreased from 9% to 5% just in the past year. Let's put that in perspective. Last year, one out of every 10 Americans were using the Bible multiple times throughout the week and they were using it to guide their lives. That number has dropped to one in 20 Americans. In addition, 35% of adults report never using the Bible over the past year, a 10 percentage point increase since 2011 alone. LifeWay Research published an article a couple years back that said Americans are fond of the Bible, but we don't actually read it. In it, they revealed that 87% of households in America have at least one Bible. The average American household has three Bibles inside of it. However, only 53% of Americans have read at least some stories in the Bible, just a few sentences, or not at all. Americans know less and less information in the Bible simply because we're not reading it. This is what Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary wrote. He said, fewer than half of all adults can name the four gospels. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. According to data from the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans can't even name five of the 10 commandments. No wonder people break the 10 commandments all the time. They don't know what they are, said George Barna, president of the firm. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities that God destroyed in the Old Testament, thought they were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated the Sermon on the Mount was preached by none other than Billy Graham. What these numbers are telling us is that we, we know the Bible's important to us. We see that as Americans. We're just not doing anything with it. So if you've got Psalm 119 handy, uh, we'll be looking again at this psalm where uh, it's, it's a psalmist who just loves God's word. He has such a deep passion for God's word. And as Jack shared at the beginning of the series, the psalms, we know this are a collection of poems. They're hymns. Uh, they're really meant to reveal the heart and the character of God. And so you have different types of psalms. You have wisdom psalms. Some are just meant to be poetry. Some are meant to uh, be grief psalms. We call those laments. Some are imprecatory psalms. That's a big word. An imprecatory psalm, uh, it asks God to be faithful to his promise and to his, fee- to his people. So Psalm 19 we'll be looking at tonight, it's a wisdom psalm, but it does have elements of every other type of psalm in it. And that's because it's the longest chapter in the Bible. 
Some of you already know that. Uh, it's got 176 verses in it, and we're going to make sure we read all of them tonight. No, we're not. Just kidding. Uh, but of the 176 verses in Psalm 119, 172 of those verses are addressed directly to the Lord. 171 of those verses contain some sort of reference to God's word. Clearly, there's a love of God's word in this passage. So the reason the chapter is so long as well uh, is this is also an acrostic psalm. So what that means, some of you are familiar with acrostics where you take your name like Lyle, loving, why, yielding, I don't know, right? Like you come up with something for your name, you know that. Well, this is an acrostic psalm, uh, but it's, it's based around the Hebrew alphabet. And so you have 22 sections within Psalm uh, 119. Each section's made up of eight verses. And of every, uh, all those eight verses are made up with a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. So the first stanza it's made up with, in, if this were English, right, it'd be all starts with an A. The second section, everything starts with a B. The third section, everything starts with a C. So they do that for all 22 Hebrew letters. And so if you've got the NIV, there's certain versions of the Bible that if you look in it, you'll actually get to see uh, what letter's being referenced at the beginning of those stanzas. So with such a focus on God's word, the purpose of this psalm really is this. It's to celebrate God's word and to inspire a full obedience to it. That's my hope for us tonight. If we can walk out of this room celebrating God's word and if we can have in our hearts an inspiration that we wanna obey it, then we'll know that the Holy Spirit's moved tonight. And C.S. Lewis said this, he said, it describes how the word enables us to grow in holiness and handle the persecutions and the pressures that always accompany an obedient walk of faith. And so we're gonna stay really high level tonight. Uh, we're not gonna get too much into the nitty gritty within Psalm 119. I really just wanna look at two passages, the first 16 verses really from this chapter. Uh, and I, I want us just to, to ponder that and to think about what are the implications for us? What insights can we draw uh, as we look into God's word? So let's start in Psalm 119 verse one. It said, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And so first and foremost, this is what I want us to see. I want us to see in these verses the blessings that come from obeying God's word. Psalmist begins by speaking a blessing. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who walk according to his law, who do no wrong. Those who live the blessed life, we need to see this. Those who live the blessed life are also those who live the obedient life. So you might be thinking, well, why does obedience matter? How many of you have heard of the five love languages by show of hands? Anybody familiar with the five love languages? For those of you who are not, right, there's this book that was released uh, where some counselors wrote about five ways that we express our love or five ways that we feel most loved uh, by the people who are important to us. And so the five love languages you have, uh, you've got words of affirmation, you've got acts of service, you've got quality time, physical touch, receiving gifts, Right, so those five different things here. If a couple's struggling in their relationship, a lot of times you can trace it back to one or both members of, of that relationship aren't feeling that they're receiving love in the way that they best receive that, right? So I know that my wife feels very loved when we spend quality time together. That's her uh, love language. 
But for me, working a job in retail as well as working for the church, uh, we don't get a lot of days off together. Uh, and to be honest, I work for Apple, right? I love technology. I enjoy I'm preaching from an iPad, right? Like I love to use my phone, my iPad. And so on my days off, when Anya wants to come have a nice conversation and I'm sitting there scrolling through my Instagram feed, she doesn't exactly feel loved, does she? Once again, it's a shining moment as a husband, I know. But in my mind, I also know that my wife uh, really hates vacuuming. She really hates dusting. And of course, all of us do. We live in Tucson where everything gets dusty within a day. Uh, so if I notice that the rugs start to get uh, a little dirty and there's uh, you know, stuff on it, I'll pull out the vacuum and I vacuum. And for me, many times I want to do those things because I want to serve my, li- my, my wife uh, because that's one of the ways that I best express my love is by acts of service. But that's not enough, is it, for Anya? That's not a way that she really feels like she's loved. She needs that time with me and she needs me to pay attention to her when we do have that time together, to be engaged in conversation so that she feels that type of love uh, that she needs to feel for our marriage to be strong and for our marriage to be healthy. Well, Jesus in John 15 verses nine and 10 said to his disciples, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so from these scriptures about the Father's love for the Son, we can see that the Father's expression of his love for the Son is by revealing the plan. The Son then reveals his expression of love by obeying the plan. And then Jesus is now calling us to do the same. He says that I've loved you by explaining to you the plan that the Father has given me. He reveals all things to us. And his desire for us, he says it repeatedly if you read John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, if you love me, keep my commands. The cool thing about this passage is he's revealed his love language to us right here. We see what God's love language is. If we wanna love him, we need to follow him. We need to be obedient to him. I get it though, we're Americans, right? The idea of obedience is a little bit rough for us because we like our freedom. We like, for, uh, we like basically to be in control of our own future, right? We wanna do what we wanna do when we wanna do it and if someone wants to tell us what to do, that's encroaching on our freedom, isn't it? It's a little bit extreme, but still we can find the elements of that in our lives, can't we? The psalmist understood this tension And so that's why he writes what he does in verses four and five of Psalm 119. In the psalmist's heart, he wants to follow God's law. He wants to be obedient to God's law, but he knows that there's that tug of sinful nature that's constantly pulling him the other direction. So he says, you've laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. I get it. Obedience is tough. It requires that we do things that we do not always wanna do. But I wanna encourage you, And the psalmist encourages us to right at the beginning. That's why he talks about the blessings. Look to the blessings that God wants to give us. And maybe you want to start just begrudgingly. I get it. Like it's tough to to want to have this attitude of reading something in scripture and being like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that right away. Some of those things in scripture are easy. It's easy to love my neighbor, right? But what about when it says love your enemies? What about when your boss yells at you? Take something out on you that's not your fault. Do you want to pray for him then? Probably not. 
There's so many opportunities in life that we have to follow God's word uh, where we just step away from doing that because we just, we don't have the heart to do it. But admit that, that's okay. Start with the begrudging response of, all right, God, I'll do it. Because guess what? Jesus gave the parable of the two sons, right? One son's asked to go do something that the father wants him to do. And the son says, I'm not gonna do that. And then a little bit later, he changes his mind and he goes and does the father's will. The younger son's like, yeah, totally, I'll get that done. And then he blows it off. Who gets the blessing? It's the one who did the will of the father, isn't it? The cool thing is this, though. As God begins to shower those blessings into your life, one of the biggest blessings you'll find that he, he brings to you quickly is a change of heart. It's a change of attitude. And I know I've seen that in my own life, that I might begrudgingly do something, but then God brings that blessing along, and then all of a sudden, I'm just so happy that I was willing to be faithful to do what God asked me to do. That's why the psalmist says here in verses seven and eight, he says, I'll praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. And so really, we have to understand that we can't do the will of God if we don't know what the word of God says. So we need to have this heart, we need to have this commitment, a willingness to learn, God, to learn God's word and to, to meditate on it so that it, it becomes a part of us. Of course, the warning here is that committing ourselves to learning God's word can really lead us down a dark road. If we read only to grow in our knowledge and our information, it leads to arrogance. That's why Jesus warns in Matthew 7, he says that there's the narrow gate that very few people will find but yet there's the broad gate that leads to destruction. Dallas Willard said this about that. He said, the narrow gate is not doctrinal correctness. The narrow gate is obedience. The broad gate is doing whatever I wanna do. Are you willing to admit to yourself that doing whatever you wanna do is oftentimes just not the healthiest thing? I know I struggle with that. But if we can get our heart to the point that we see that God only and always wants the very best for us, we start to see why we need to invest time, why we need to, to really uh, allow ourselves to dig into God's word in order to be obedient to God. So just remember this, that God wants to bless us for our obedience. Psalm 119 uh, has so many different blessings that the psalmist discovered just from his own obedience. And so I put these in a quick list here. You'll see that in the Elements app as well or in the YouVersion app. Uh, but here's just a quick list of those blessings. We won't be put to shame. We receive his promise. We receive life. We receive comfort. We have the ability to keep God's word. We receive his mercy. He makes us wiser than our enemies. He gives us understanding. He gives us light for our feet to walk the path. We get peace. Nothing will make us stumble. I know I could use more of those things in my life. How about you? Do any of those things resonate in your heart? The key to unlocking these blessings is our willingness to be obedient to what God asks us to do. So moving into verse nine, we can see some more benefits that come uh, from God's word. And so the second thing I want us to see is the cleansing power of God's word. It says in verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight 
as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so if God says that the best expression of our love for Christ is through our obedience, then one of the very best tools that we can use that will help us be obedient is God's word. Verse 11, it's a great verse to memorize. It gives us that secret to obedience. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart or I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So maybe you're familiar with the armor of God in Ephesians 6. There Paul, um, he writes about the shield of faith, the shoes of peace, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, right? There's all these pieces of armor that we can wield and yet there's only one offensive weapon and that's called the sword of the spirit or better yet, the word of God. So Proverbs 5 uh, verses three and four talks about the, tempt- uh, the temptress, the adulterous woman, how she likes to lure us in and her ways are like a two-edged sword. Well, if we contrast that with Hebrews 4.12, which says, for the word of God is alive and active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Think about that just for one moment. The temptress, her ways are as sharp as a two-edged sword and yet God's word is the superior weapon, isn't it? It's sharper than any double-edged sword, it says. It says it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So we can go into battle knowing that we are fighting with better weapons than anything that the enemy can bring against us. But guess what? You have to be willing to pick up the weapon. Are you picking up God's word? Are you using it in such a way that you're committing it to your heart, that you're letting it fill your mind so that when the attacks come, you're able to use that to drive back the devil. We even get our example from Jesus himself. In Matthew 4, Jesus faces temptation as he's led into the, uh, led into the wilderness. Uh, and so he fasts for 40 days, for 40 nights. He's hungry and the devil confronts him and he, he brings three different temptations and how does Jesus fight that? He quotes scripture. So even in his weak moment, right, he's not been nurtured, he hasn't eaten anything. I'd be so hangry, let's just be honest. Can I get an amen? Like, I would not be thinking about God's word. I'd just be like, give me a pizza. And here's Jesus, he's able to just quickly pull from the word of God, and he just fights back the temptation of the devil in that moment, and he gives us the example that we so badly need. So this is why meditating, why memorizing the Bible is so helpful. If we want God's word to be there for us when we need it, we have to make the investment now into reading it and to learning it. As one who was raised in the church, the importance of this was pressed upon me from a very early age. Uh, is anybody familiar with Awanas? Do you remember that? Approved workmen are not ashamed. That's right. So I remember being in Awanas and I remember just consistently uh, learning Bible verses and I remember my parents uh, had a reward system where if we memorized scripture and we knew these verses, uh, I, we got like a sticker or something. I don't know what it was, but that was just enough motivation for me to want to do it. And um, I never fully saw the value in all that. It was just a kind of a fun thing to, to do until I went to college. And then I started living life on my own, right? I moved from Phoenix, I moved down here to Tucson, and there's just a world of, of temptation that I never experienced, and I, I didn't know what to do at times. And suddenly, God's word just came to mind. And so in a moment of temptation, something like 1 Corinthians 10, 13 would pop into my head. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. How good is God? 
that he would do that for us. And so I knew that when something would hit and I was tempted to maybe cheat or do something that would, would cost my integrity, God was already there providing a way out. Maybe I was sitting with a girl. Guys, you know how that is, right? We're just, the worst thing you can do is be alone with a girl after midnight, right? So uh, you just gotta have good, good rules. Stay vertical, right? Sit on the couch, stay vertical. And uh, remembering that, that verse, how many times, I, can, I can't even count the number of times that a phone call would come through on my phone. Yeah, I had a cell phone then. I'm, yeah, I know. Uh, but there are times that I would reject the call or that I wouldn't take that way out. And I know that I fell the temptation because I, I just didn't use the way that God had provided for me. Uh, so when God's word just floods our hearts and floods our minds and we can rely on it, that's how we can battle against sin. That's how we can fight those uh, moments where we're tempted to do so. But you'll also notice some extra benefits that come from filling your mind with God's word. Over time, you'll find that verses pop into your head the moments when you need them most. And so God's word all of a sudden uh, doesn't only help you find success against temptation, you find that it, it brings you a, a great amount of peace and a great amount of comfort. I mentioned going to college. Well, a month before I went to college, I found out that my dad had esophageal cancer. And basically, we were given a 10% chance of my dad living at least five years. And so here I am as an 18-year-old about to go through my formulative years, and one of my biggest heroes I know may die. Gosh, like that, that just rocked my world. But a great mentor for me, a man that I actually still meet with, the first verse that he had me memorize uh, when I got to college was Isaiah 26.3. It says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've quoted that verse time and again, not only as I watched my father pass away from cancer, I've had friends who've been raped. I've had friends who've gone through uh, the pain and the agony of having an abortion. I've had friends uh, who died of heroin overdoses. I've seen some rough things. And yet God's been faithful to give me peace every moment that I've needed it. Just because of verses like that that I've been able to call to mind and just to claim that promise and to see how he comes through in that moment, not just with his word, but through, through his people, uh, and through a community of believers, and it's, it's just it's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's the life that you want. That's it. Don't, don't compare where you're at right now to where I'm at, all right? You might be intimidated when you hear someone just popping verses off. I told you, I was raised in the church doing that. Some of you may have been through that as well. Some of you guys might be able to just easily rattle them off. But for others of you, it might be intimidating, and I get that. Just start with something simple. Just start with something simple as you're reading your Bible. What's one verse that God speaks to you through? Write it down and just commit that verse to being one that you're gonna read daily. And if you just keep reading it over and over again, you're just gonna find that those words begin to saturate your mind and that just begins to fill your heart. And so what do we do about this? How do we apply this message to our lives? My hope is that you do see that there's a need for us to read the scriptures and that the blessings that God promise us, uh, promises to us is worth the investment of doing so. But let's think of it another way. What are the implications if our read reading continues to suffer? Well, for one, bad theology can easily take over. 
If you don't know God's word, if you're unable to go back into the scripture and test the things that I'm saying to you tonight and see are those things that line up with what God says is true, over time, people might be able to start sneaking in bad theology to you and you might start to buy it. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? That's not, none of us wanna be there. But if you think about the cult movements, you think of someone like Jim Jones, uh, manipulative people aren't necessarily manipulative right up front, are they? They learn how to earn your trust, they pull you in, and then they start to say things that just, they twist the truth just that little bit. Right, if I came up here tonight and was like, God wants me to be rich, he's told me that for the next three months you all need to give me your paychecks, just sign them over to me, the blessings will be there in the next five years for you, right? You would think I'm crazy, you would run me out of here, and you should, because that's obviously bad theology, you know that. But when someone gets up and starts to to just tweak just little bits of scripture, if we don't know God's word, we start to fall prey to that, don't we? The other thing is, uh, it's easy just to complain about the moral decline that we see in society. Even within the church, the moral decline that we start to see. Well, the reason that that decline has started to, to sink in is because we just don't know the word of God the way that we once did. So how can we live a holy life if we don't even know what God's asking us to do? We should also consider this. What do we want our legacy to be? for the next generation of Christians. For those of you who have kids, do you want them to grow up thinking that Sodom and Gomorrah lived happily ever after? Probably not. I'm sure that your desire is to see that your children grew up to walk step by step in faith with the Lord and to journey with them the same way that you have. I saw a post on uh, Instagram this week of a mother and her daughter reading a book together on a subway and someone had written about Children are imitators. You all know this. For those of you who have kids, how many times have you said something that you didn't mean to say? Something slipped out, and just a little bit later in the day, you hear your kids repeating you. And you're just like, ah, right? (laughs) Your kids, they may not necessarily listen to you when you want them to, but they're always watching you, aren't they? And they're so quick to imitate you. Show them the way. Show them what it looks like to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Show them what it looks like to be committed to reading God's word. Get them to pull their Bibles out with you as you read through maybe just one passage of scripture. Talk about what you can draw from that, what truth you can live out together. And all of a sudden you're actually creating a little bit of accountability for yourself, aren't you? But you're also teaching them what it is to walk in holiness and to walk in the way that God would want them to. Maybe you're already thinking about different barriers that keep you from reading God's word. And I certainly don't want tonight to, uh, to put a weight on your back to where when you walk out of here, you're just like, gosh, I don't know that I could ever do that. Uh, but my hope is that you'd be encouraged uh, and just that we could in- acknowledge what those barriers are and maybe talk about some resources and some ways that we can overcome those things. Uh, and so in George H. Guthrie's book, Read the Bible for Life, this is a book that I read earlier this year. Uh, it's a fantastic read. It's just about how to increase uh, your biblical literacy. And what that means is, how do we read the Bible? 
There's different books of the Bible that need to be read differently. And so he actually sits down with experts uh, in those different areas and he talks about uh, how to approach the different parts of scripture uh, so that you can get better at engaging God's word. And so in the introduction, uh, he talks about some obstacles to reading the Bible. And so just those four obstacles. One, reading in general is on the decline. Two, he says technology may be hurting our ability to read. Three, we're distracted and overextended in our schedules. Can I get an amen on that? Right? And finally, we don't know the Bible's grand story or how its parts work. A significant portion of our population does not read anything beyond clips online, maybe an article in a magazine, or bits and pieces of a blog on the internet. This has affected our ability to read well. As much as our smartphones have been great tools that help us manage our daily lives, it's certainly affected how well we're able to read. It's become all too easy to get distracted within only a few minutes of even trying to read anything. And so if reading's on the decline uh, because of those things, uh, what stops us from using our technology uh, in a powerful way to redeem that? All it takes is just a little bit of discipline from us, just a little bit of being intentional. And I know that we can turn that around. So if you're the type of person who struggles to, lead, to read, maybe consider listening to the Bible. I know that uh, one of my friends sitting here tonight, God changed his life because he just it frustrated him trying to read scripture because he just would get distracted. And Brian made the suggestion, hey man, why don't you just uh, do this in the Bible app and then you can listen to the Bible. Did you know that there's free audio Bibles available inside the Uversion app that you can listen to as you're driving in the car and suddenly you can start saturating your mind with scripture throughout the day in ways that maybe you hadn't ever thought that you could. Also in the sermon notes, uh, if you take a look in the YouVersion event, uh, you've seen that I've put in a, a huge list of resources. Uh, and all of these are just meant to be tools that help you get more out of your Bible reading. Uh, and so I want to look at a couple of those. Uh, one, I included a link to a longtime seminary professor from Dallas Theological Seminary. His name is Thomas Constable. Uh, he's made all of his Bible commentary free online. Uh, so there's a link to that. His notes have been so helpful for me. Just anytime I have a question about the verses that I'm reading, uh, I just quickly pull out Google, type it in, boom. I don't even have to remember the website, just remember the name. I gave you the link. You can bookmark the link. You're welcome. I know that's what my wife's done, and that's really helped her out too. She said that that's been a, a, a resource that she's been using just even recently. Uh, oftentimes we stumble through our reading just because we don't know the meaning of words. That's where a Bible dictionary can be really helpful. Uh, or better yet, Again, how long does it take you to pull your phone out and say, hey Siri, what does blah, blah, blah mean? Right, 10 seconds, that's all it takes to use your technology in a redemptive way to help you better engage uh, with what you're reading. But probably the most common obstacle for people is just that we have trouble understanding the overall story of the Bible. Uh, and I get that. So one of the best resources that you can get, I have this pocket Bible handbook that has been fantastic. This was $6 on Amazon. So I set a link just to the exact same thing. What's great about this is it has every book of the Bible. You've got timelines, you've got outlines of the book, uh, you've got the main theological contribution to scripture and just to the overall story of the Bible each book provides. Uh, you get so much out of this that helps you unlock what the author is really trying to communicate, who he was trying to communicate that to, like why he was trying to communicate that, and that helps us draw better application out of it. 
Um, there's an organization called The Bible Project. If you go to thebibleproject.com, they've basically taken information like that, and they've just made really helpful animated videos uh, that walk through that information. Again, all that's free. Um, so I talked about this book, The Read the Bible for Life. Um, George Guthrie has made a bunch of different resources. He's got this Reader's Guide to the Bible. It's a chronological Bible reading plan that you can get with it. Um, it's been fantastic uh, for me because he walks you through the different parts of Scripture and gives you some uh, points to reflect on. But uh, coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to actually start an e-group uh, where he's got a workbook here, Read the Bible for Life workbook. And so there's a sign-up sheet at the back. If you wanna take your Bible reading deeper, I challenge you, get this book. There's a link on Amazon so that you can get that. Uh, but we'll start going through this. It's a 10-week study. Uh, there's 30-minute session videos. Uh, and then there's uh, just some discussion that you do as you go through each section and kind of what you went over the week before. But if you really want to take your Bible reading to the next level, I just encourage you, join me as we go through this journey uh, together uh, to get better at, at just reading God's word and letting God's word saturate our lives. And so just a final story. Uh, growing up, I, I always loved Christmas Day. I don't know about you. Uh, but it was just such a great holiday for me. Um, it was a wonderful time with family. Obviously, you get the, the presents, and uh, as a kid, you enjoy uh, getting to rip that open. Um, I loved going on vacation with family every other year. We'd go see grandparents in New Mexico or in Texas. And uh, there's just so many different traditions that we all had, right? Different traditions, and they probably evoke different memories within all of us. Uh, so just being honest here, how many of you had those what relatives that always gave you the weird gift, right? It was always a little bit awkward going to their place for Christmas because you never knew what to expect, right? Like they might give you a pair of socks and you're like, oh, great, thank you. And you're trying to, oh, it's so nice. Or they give you that puppy sweater that no teenage child ever wants to wear. And you're like, oh, I'm not, what? And then you have to wear it the next year just to show that you're, yeah. Well, um, after I graduated from college, I spent three years working at Wells Fargo as a teller. And I will never forget uh, the day that this young woman came in. She had just graduated from college and she had this fat stack of savings bonds uh, in her hands. And so she was talking about the story of how she got all these savings bonds. Uh, and she got them from kind of those out there grandparents in her mind where every Christmas she'd get great gifts from one and then she'd go to the other grandparents house and it was like here's the hundred dollar savings bond and when you're five years old you're like that's a piece of paper but what and then you just don't even really know what to do with it and so she would get these for Christmas she'd get them for her birthday uh, just random times throughout the year she said that her grandpa would just slip her a two hundred dollar or five hundred dollar savings bond just as he'd saved up money that was what he did he'd go to the bank and he'd buy her a savings bond and so we spent probably 30, 40 minutes together, no joke, as I just was like stamping these bonds and handing them back so she could sign and fill all the information in. But uh, what was a frustrating thing for her to receive then, at the time, became a, a, a pretty wise uh, investment for her later as she was cashing out over $4,000 to go make her dreams come true as she was about to go on a trip to Europe. She realized the wisdom and the foresight that her grandparents had to help her invest in something that she didn't understand and could not see the value in doing herself. It's the same with God's word for us, isn't it? Maybe we don't understand it today. Maybe we don't quite understand all that God's trying to communicate to us in scripture. 
But I promise you, there's wisdom as we invest our time, as we invest our heart and our energy into learning what God's word has for us. And if we're obedient to that word of God, I I promise you, God's gonna make your life uh, just explode in a vibrant way as you reflect Jesus and what you do. And people are gonna be attracted to that type of a life. They're gonna wanna be around you. Because in every season, whether you're going through cancer, whether you uh, are are watching your friends suffer or whatever might be going on, you're gonna see that God's word uh, is just a shield about you. It protects your mind and it, it just continues to draw your mind back to him. So let's pray. Jesus, I just, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, over thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you've preserved it for us to be able to engage with it even today. Father, I thank you that um, that every answer that we need in life we can find if we're just willing to engage with you, if we're just willing to ask you and to seek guidance from you and uh, my heart tonight, Lord, is that you would shape our hearts in such a way uh, that we would see that we could only find that if we invest ourselves into knowing your word so that we can know who you are even better. Not just to know about you, Lord, but to be able to better see you at work around us, to be able to better experience you uh, as you move in our lives to better understand what it is that you're doing in us and through us and around us. Lord, I just wanna thank you uh, for your son Jesus. As we transition to the time of communion, we thank you what what he did for us on the cross and that we get to celebrate that uh, tonight as we participate in taking the, the elements of the Lord's Supper. In the same way, God, that we might find ourselves taking your word for granted, I pray that you would help us to not uh, take the Lord's Supper for granted. But as we engage in communion, would you uh, just help us to see and remember what it is that you did for us on the cross. The fact that you were willing to suffer uh, for our sake, to take our sins upon yourself, Jesus, so that we could be cleansed as white as snow and live in relationship with the Father. Lord, would you just help us uh, to better navigate that relationship with you? Help us to find truth in your word, to be willing to just take extra steps in our life, uh, to overcome those obstacles that may pull us away uh, from spending time with you. Even if that's just one step. In these next few moments, God, would you write it on our hearts what that step is that we can take tonight? right now, what we can commit ourselves to doing over the next seven days so we can start giving you space to work within us the way that you want to, Father. We love you, Jesus. We know that you stand ready to speak to us if we'd only listen. So would you give us ears to hear tonight, Lord? what you want to say to us as you want to continue to move through communion and worship. We trust you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.